because you are in the hoodwood. I'm the Black Bandit, KJ Green, welcoming you to another edition of Sports from the Hoodwood. Coming up in this edition, the Nuggets and the Knights are both gold champs of the NBA and NHL respectively. Look what they did to win their respective titles. And with the losers, what they can do to get back to try to win a title. Ellie De La Cruz is he next Major League Baseball wonder kind. You've got to see the highlights I've got drawn up for him. Well, good with high five, fat dap, head slap, and a final word on loyalty. What's the price? All of that coming up and a whole lot more. That's your seatbelt going crash helmets. It's Sports Liquid coming at you. Let's go! Taken away from you. I'm your man KJ Green. Welcome you back to another edition of Sports from the Hoodwood. And since we last talked, both the NBA and the NHL have crowned champions. Well, let's look first at the NBA, where the Denver Nuggets win their first NBA title in their franchise existence, whether it be ABA or NBA, with a five-game series win over the Miami Heat. Now, Take nothing away from the Miami Heat. They played decently in the five games, even though they did lose four of them. They did become the only team in the postseason this year to go into Denver and snatch a win. But the combination of Nikola Jokic, who was the finals MVP, Jamal Murray, and surprise appearances by Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. were just a little bit too much for the mass unit that was the Miami Heat. Now, I know, I gave Jimmy Butler a lot of static the whole postseason. I was saying, he's going to melt down, he's going to self-destruct, and, the, and, and, the, and Miami Heat were going to go down in flames with him. I will give Jimmy Butler grudging credit through all four rounds. He played probably some of the best ball that I have seen him play on a consistent basis. He led that ragtag bunch of the Miami Heat all the way to the finals. And they simply ran out of gas against a better, stronger, deeper Nuggets team that was on a mission from day one. I mean, and I've already seen the pundits already knocking all the, the Nuggets were a, they're a weak champion and they're a garbage team. And I even saw somebody say that, oh, the bubble team that the Lakers had in 20 is better than this Nuggets team. For what it's worth, this season was strange. There was no real dominant team. The Warriors played up and down. The Bucks were always hurt. Teams in, in Boston and New York and L.A. just weren't ready. They just didn't seem like they had the moxie, the drive, the determination to put it all together. Once April hit, the Nuggets just sat back as the number one seed and just kept winning, dispatching the Timberwolves in five. Other teams were falling apart. The, the Bucks got bounced by the Heat, and there's that team again, got bounced in the first round. The Nuggets continued to win. They knocked off the, the Suns in a surprisingly tough six-game series. Other teams kept falling apart. The Knicks came apart. The, the, the Dubs got just blown away in the in the in the Western fight in Western semis, but the Nuggets just kept on keeping on. You get to the conference finals, the Celtics. We all saw what happened to them, falling back three zero, scrambling back to tie the series, and then just absolutely melting down in the seventh game of the Eastern Finals. 
disappointing end to what I thought should have been a championship or a potentially championship season. Meanwhile, the Nuggets just kept on plugging on, sweeping the Lakers out without so much breaking a sweat. And then they get to the finals. Oh, the Nuggets, they're going to fall apart. They're going to come apart. The Heat is a team of destiny. The Nuggets just simply shrugged, smacked them around the first game, lost a tough second game where Jamal Murray had a clean look at a game-tying three that didn't go down. The Nuggets weren't, weren't unfazed. They weren't bothered. They went to Miami. Miami, oh, Miami's going to get them in, 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 uh, in South Beach. It's going to be over with. The Nuggets shrugged, won game three and four. Once they won game four, it was pretty much a wrap. I was pretty much sure. And who called it in five games? This guy. I said it was going to be five games. I knew the Nuggets. I thought Miami was going to win game three, not game two. But either way, Denver is a champion team. Take nothing away from them. They won the 16 games necessary to win the NBA title. And the thing is this. They did not have to be pushed to a seventh game in any series. Knocking off the Timberwolves in five, the Suns in six, sweeping the Lakers, and beating the Nuggets in five. The, the, the Heat, for their part, they went to the wall way too many times. You know, they, they, they had a, the Bucks, of course, is a number one seed. You're going to have to play your best ball to beat them. And remember, the Heat had to win a play-in game. They lost their first play-in game against Atlanta and had to win a do-or-die play-in game just to get into the playoffs, knocking off the Bulls. That being said, I take nothing away from the Heat. They played very good in the playoffs, just not good enough to win the title. Can they run it back and maybe contend for a title? I don't see why not. Jimmy Butler has basically made his bona fides with me. I've made my peace with Jimmy Butler. He, he might steal a title sooner or later. Right now, he still has a, he's still a few parts short of winning a title. Kyle Lowry did not step up in the finals. I was I was Barely disappointed and thought he was going to be a good secondary shooter and gunner besides Butler. He didn't do that. Bam Adebayo, eh, he did a right, but he was not expected to pick up a scoring load. Not the way he was that he was going to be have to do in the games that Jimmy Butler did all he could. But there was no secondary score with uh, a Tyler Hero pretty much MIA with injuries, the basic mass unit that was the the Heat weren't going to get it done. Not against a deep team like the Nuggets. The Nuggets winning five, no surprise here. They are a worthy champion. Can they can they run it back and maybe contend for a title? It's tough to say. With the way, with the, way the West is, I mean, the Suns are in flux with you know releasing Chris Paul. The Lakers, oh, geez. The Lakers are a mess themselves. The Dubs, who knows? There's not one real, every team that you're picking out in the West has at least one or two problems, holes that they're going to have to fill. Now, could somebody like Dane Lillard maybe going to Phoenix? Could he be a possible solution for, the, for, for a containing team to push the Nuggets? Who knows? Wherever he goes is going to tilt, maybe tilt the balance a little bit toward them. But for right now, the Nuggets are the king of the mountain. Hey, <laughs> play on words. They are the NBA champions, worthy and do the respect that they rightfully earned. Now, another team finished out its championship destiny uh, this week. The Vegas Golden Knights won their first Stanley Cup in franchise history. Yeah, their long story franchise history. They've only been in in, in existence six years. Jeez. Oh, I mean, there are teams like Buffalo, Vancouver, uh, Ottawa, San Jose, that are all looking at the Vegas Knights like, really? Do you know what kind of butt kickings we took for years as an expansion team and you win a title in your sixth season? 
I mean, the Vegas Golden Knights won. Uh, they got all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals in their very first season. Boy, if they had won the Stanley Cup that year, there would have been a lot of people really, really mad. There would have been some investigations going like, how the hell does a first-year team get all the way to the Stanley Cup Final and win it? wasn't like the 60s where the, the St. Louis Blues went to three straight uh, Stanley Cup Finals in their first three years of existence, but they were in a conference full of expansion teams, and they were eh, mediocre and going against some great Montreal teams. That's different. The Vegas Golden Knights were built right. They were built for speed. They were built to win, and that right now. The thing about Vegas, and they've been in the playoffs five of their six years of existence. They didn't make the playoffs last year, just missing it by a couple of points. But this year, they were pretty much the team to beat out West. And they didn't really break a sweat all the way through the finals. Yeah, Dallas pushed them a little bit in the conference finals, but they weren't going to be denied. And when they got to the finals, who did they face? What is this about these South Florida teams that have gotten to the uh, their championships? Uh, Miami, Florida Atlantic, and the NCAAs. Uh, uh, of course, the Heat, you, you, and now you're talking about the Panthers. Now, the Panthers, an eight seed, scrambles their way through the playoffs, knocking off the top seed. And we talked all year about how good the Boston Bruins were, and they failed in their first round against the Florida Panthers, blowing a 3-1 lead and losing in the seventh game in Boston. And we are we ain't gonna start talking about how, how the abject failures of Boston teams in seven games now. Right? But, but but I digress. Florida slugging their way into the into the Stanley Cup Finals. They were the team nobody wanted to see in the finals. Like when they went to the finals in '96, a bunch of just scrappy, as they like to call themselves, rats. They got all the way to the finals, but once faced against a Vegas team. Stacked and packed from the way from from the top down, great goaltending and great scoring, and then that final game. Oh jeez, you had to hide the women and children because that was a massacre. Nine to three, nine goals. Some teams are lucky to score nine goals in a week. They scored nine goals in three periods in front of a delirious Vegas crowd. And another 20,000 outside the arena going absolutely losing their minds watching them score again and again and again. And you're, you're almost like how Adrian's watching Clubber Lang beat on Rocky going, hit him back. But the Panthers were out of gas. Similar to their basketball counterparts, they got a lot further than expected. They were plucky. They were, you know, just a uh, uh, blue-collar type of team, a grinding type of team. But once faced with a team with a lot more depth, a lot more speed, it, it was not going to be hard to tell the, 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 the outcome of this. I was picking Vegas in six. They did it in five and really didn't break a sweat the whole uh, along the way. Winning the, their franchise's first Stanley Cup in their, like I said, their long story. No, six years is not a long story history. Like I said before, there are teams that are looking at them going, how the hell did you do it? There were expansion teams that would go dozens of years before even sniffing the playoffs. The uh, San Jose Sharks lost 70 games in their second season. The the Washington Capitals went 8-67-5, went 1-39 away from home. Those were pitiful expansion teams. Everybody liked expansion teams because you could beat up on them. But expansion teams now are no pushovers. Look at what's going on in Seattle. That team made playoffs. The Crackheads? I I'm sorry, the Kraken? I'm sorry, as a bitter, jaded Detroit Red Wings fan who hasn't seen his team in the playoffs in five years, I'm a little annoyed. But Vegas can rightfully take its place among the story teams that will have their names forever etched on that 35-pound silver chalice known as the Stanley Cup. Given their dap and dude, the Vegas Knights 
are Stanley Cup champions. Let's take a first time out. Come back and we will look in depth at the Phenom coming out of Cincinnati. Ellie De La Cruz. If you haven't seen this kid play, brother, he is making a name for himself. And he's only been in the big leagues a couple of weeks and been making all sorts of waves. Take a look at him. Sports with Hoodwood comes right back at you after this. Is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. watch my share of baseball over the years and I've seen a lot of fantastic players come and go. I've seen a lot of hyped up players not live up to their hype. Some of them, they do all right at the beginning and then kind of tail off. Um, I mean, I'm thinking of players like Bryce Harper, Steven Strasburg, Hunter Green, uh, Jake Bruce, Mike Trout. Shohei uh, Otani, all of them came in with some modicum of hype. Uh, Aroldis Chapman, uh, there's been a lot of Kerry Wood, there have been a lot of really hyped up rookies. They come out and they either really, really live up to the hype or a really big disappointment. Some of them grow into the hype. Some of them don't really do that much. I remember when uh, a few years back, uh, the Cincinnati Reds were all really hyped over Jay Bruce, and he came out with his debut, um, I believe, it was in 2008, and he hit the ball all over the place first couple of games, and everybody's like, "Wow, this kid, he's really, you know, he was very hyped up, uh, and one of the top minor league prospects for the Reds came up, big crowds who were, you know, the Reds have been kind of down for a number of years." So to have a player like that come out and really play the part was, was encouraging to Reds fans. And, of course, Jay Bruce played a number of years in Cincinnati, he played fairly decently, um, will always live in Reds lore for hitting uh, the walk-off home run that won the uh, 2010 uh, NL Central title. There have been other players who have been, eh, you kind of wonder what the hype was when they come up and they don't really live up to it. Now, of course, Shohei Otani, he's kind of an outlier because he had played in the Japanese league, played very well, and then when he came to the major leagues, has been basically hitting the cover off the ball. Has won an MVP and Rookie of the Year to boot. He has lived up to the hype. The Reds have a phenom, and I call him a phenom because of the hype that has come out because of him. Player's name is Ellie De La Cruz. He is 21 years old and has basically made a fast rise through the Reds organization. And there was a lot of people that was wondering why is he still down in AAA in Louisville. And then he finally came up, made his major league debut a few days ago. The hype for this kid was immense. Now, him coming up from Louisville, Louisville was just being 100 miles from Cincinnati, and, you know, made the quick ride up 71 to Great American Ballpark, where the Reds play at, and many people were thinking, you know, okay, now you're in the big leagues, you're in the big show, this is, you know, you've been hitting the ball all over the cover, hitting cover, all, <laughs> cover off the ball in AAA, 
Well, we'll see what's going to happen when you're playing in the major leagues. They're playing the Dodgers, a good team in their own right. Walks his first time up. Second time he comes up. Just the sound off of that kid's bat. It's a ringing double off the wall. And that ball got off that bat in a hurry. And everybody's like, wow, this kid may be something. His second game, you hear the cheers. And, you know, Ellie's, you know, going to be, you know, everybody's really, really hyping him up. And then it's like this reverent silence, almost like a, like a tennis or a golf match, how quiet it was. And then he just, I'll show you the highlight. That's no joke, people. That, the sound off of the bat and the way the ball got out of Great American Ballpark, it nearly left the yard. And only a couple of people have ever hit the ball completely out of Great American Ballpark. Ironically, one of them who used to wear De La Cruz's number, number 44, Adam Dunn. But this guy isn't a slow lumbering, burly, you know, you know, hunk of hunk of type of guy. He's slim, trim. And the guy runs like a deer. The guy runs wide receiver fast. And before you say, oh, that's hyperbole, you 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 know, you're hyping the kid up. No. The guy went from home plate to third on a triple in just under 11 seconds. That's Jamar Chase speed. And we all know what kind of ignorant speed Jamar Chase has. The guy is built like a wide receiver, slim, trim, but he has so much bat speed. To hear the crack of the bat, the ball against the bat, and I only heard that type of sound with only a handful of players. Ken Griffey Jr., Mark McGuire, and Barry Bonds. It just hits a different way. And I, again, I'm not saying this hyperbole-wise. The proof has been in the pudding. This kid has been hitting and hitting the ball. They're loud outs. And he's going to have a lot of strikeouts because he's a bit of a free swinger. But he has given the kind of hype and, uh, 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 hype and hope for a downtrodden Reds team. And to the Reds' credit, they have a lot of good young players and have played surprisingly well over the course of the first couple, three months of the season. I thought they were going to lose 100 games again. I thought they were going to be battling the A's, another team I'm going to be chronicling on a little bit later in the show. I thought they were going to be battling them for the worst team in baseball. They went 62-100 last year. They lost 100 games last year. And you really looked at, the, at going, this team is hopeless. But the team has played a lot better than a lot of people thought they were going to be doing. Going into the weekend's game against the, games against the world cha, uh, defending world champion uh, Houston Astros, they're a game under 500. Nobody really thought this team was going to be that good and you say, oh, a game under 500. Considering that a year ago, they were, I want to say, 20 games under 500. I have to have Snuffy look it up. But they were, at this time last year, light years out of first place. Light years out of contention. They had barely anybody going to the ballpark. Now they're a game under 500. Two and a half games out of first place as of Thursday, June 15th, going into the weekend series against the Astros. This team, young and dumb, not not a, they're dumb enough to not know better, but they're hanging around. Are they are they a playoff contention team? No, not even close. Will they play good enough to make teams not take them as pushovers? Oh yeah. And De La Cruz leads a bumper crop of hot young players and rookies that the Reds have brought up. Let the kids play together. 
maybe they can knock some heads and maybe win some games, learning how to win. And they're having, like they're having a fun time about doing it. That's going to be a team that's going to be fun to watch over the next year, year or two. And I, and I hate the punters going, well, he'll look good in a, in a, in a Yankees uniform. A couple the Reds are going to have him for at least five or six years. I mean, they're going to have control of him for that long. But he's going to be real fun to watch. I'm going to head down to the ballpark here in a few days and check him out myself. And I'll let you know what I, what I see and maybe bring you back more details for Let's take another time out. I know I said it was kind of a short segment, but what can I say? We'll come back with the Hoodwood High Five, Fat Dap, Head Slap, and the final word from the wood. Sports with Hoodwood heads down the home stretch after this. commentary, insight, and opinions on the world of sports. Here now live in living color, black by popular demand, your host, KJ Green. Running third and headed for home here in the Hoodwood. Let's finish up strong with the Hoodwood Hot Five, that dab head slap, and the final word from the wood. Our first topic in the Hoodwood Hot Five, I don't have any particular list or anything, just five more topics to Rattle off on the Oakland A's. I've detailed their struggles at the gate, where they're basically showing no one showing up at their games, pending their imminent move to Las Vegas. But 27,000 fans showed up Tuesday night for the A's game against the Tampa Bay Rays, kind of a reverse protest, if you will where they tried to pack the house as best they could. And for the A's, a, a crowd of 27,000 is a very, very good crowd, considering they haven't had that kind of a crowd combined in the last five games. That being said, the fans stood as one in the fifth inning in silence. Then all at once, in unity, yelled, sell the team. That's probably not going to happen. The Oakland A's are basically, <laughs> it's their swan song. And I hate to say it, I mean, the team has been in the Bay Area for 55 years. They have been, the, the Athletics have been an American League staple for well over a century. They've been in the East Bay, and the fans, I don't think, are to blame. Their their attendance has been up and down, but they have drawn in Oakland, but they haven't had anybody to draw for because the team has basically been ripped apart, gutted, and I detailed in the last show, there's not a lot of good players on the team to cheer for. Ah, but let's go into our second topic in the Hoodwood Hot Five. 
Hope falling on the A's being the worst team in, the, in, the, in, in baseball. I made fun of them on this very podcast before, saying how the, the A's were, at the time, 12-50, and 50, and on pace to lose 125 games. That might not be the case now. They've rattled off seven wins in a row, and they did take a loss um, earlier in the week. But they have been playing markedly better. The Kansas City Royals, however, have basically fallen apart and are challenging them for probably the worst team in baseball, if not the American League only, but baseball altogether. This team is falling apart. This team is looking like another version of the A's. Pitiful, minimal hitting, and they do have some good players on the team. So figuring out why this team is as bad as it is, is your, your guess is as good as mine. The Royals, however, are not going anywhere. They are locked into a pretty much an ironclad lease in Kauffman Stadium and will be there for a while. Not so in Oakland. The A's aren't drawing. But their agreement with Las Vegas is going to be very, very interesting to see if they can make that stick. The uh, agreement has been, been done in principle, but will we see the Las Vegas A's? Not for at least a, at least a year, if not two. It's going to be pretty sad to see that team. That team may not draw 400000 at the uh, at Oakland Coliseum this year. If they're not going to draw that, this year, what are they going to draw next year? That, that's going to be crazy. Now, this is something I kind of, I, it came across my desk. I was like, doggone, I was hoping it was going to happen. Snoop Dogg, the famed, you know, impresario rapper, uh, uh, BFG, BFF to Martha Stewart, one-time game show host. Snoop's been everywhere the last 30 years. He was angling to be one of a conglomerate to buy the Ottawa Senators. You heard me right. Snoop Dogg trying to buy a hockey team. Not a football team, not a baseball team, a hockey team. But his conglomerate was unsuccessful in their bid in trying to buy the Senators. Uh, boardroom reports that Michael Andlauer, put in a record $1 billion bid for to for own for full ownership of the Canadian club and reports are that that's going to be the winning bid. Now, a hockey team being worth a billion dollars, if the Senators are worth a billion dollars, what are the Canadians worth? What are the Rangers worth? What are the Red Wings worth? If the Senators are pulling in a million, a billion, not a million, a billion dollars for their franchise, whew, and, and that's just going to be the beginning of, of the crazy money that could be changing hands for sales of these teams going forward. Our fourth topic in the Hoodwood Hot Five is kind of a speculation, not so much a topic or a question, but. Denver won the NBA title in five games over Miami. Many people were complaining that, oh, there are two non-glamorous markets in the, in the finals. So what? I mean, last year was, you know, the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors. I mean, two mega franchises, you know, the storied Celtics, the multi-winning uh, uh, NBA champion Warriors, Clashing for the NBA title that kept the nation's attention riveted. Miami and Denver, not so much. Was the NBA kind of salty that not only did Denver win the title with their very humble superstar at the forefront, and people said, well, you can't market him. Why not? Nikola Jokic is the kind of player you want to market. Self-effacing, humble, Always effusive with his praise to his teammates. Did you see at the end of Game 5 where Jokic was going down the line, dapping up, hugging his opponents, sharing kind words, giving praise to Jimmy Butler, Kevin Love. A host of the, of the Heat players were like, hey, 
Jokic is a good guy. He's a class guy. And it didn't surprise us that he did that. Before, while his other teammates were celebrating, he was basically saying good game. Sportsmanship. And again, I'm wondering if the NBA is not really, shouldn't be pushing this guy out front. This is the kind of self-effacing, humble player that you want as a face of a franchise. Of course, he's loved in Denver, been playing there 10 years. But the NBA, I don't think, is marketing him right. They should be putting him out front. And I don't think the NBA was really happy that, that the Nuggets won the NBA title. If they had had their way, it would have been the Lakers and the Celtics. Again, they already had the scenario and storyline written out. But Denver was the one that won the title. Our final topic in the Hoodwood Hot Five is basically giving a tip of the cap to Man City, winning the famed treble. Now, most people outside the U.S. aren't really familiar with why this is such a big deal. Now, Man City won the English Premier League by four points over Arsenal. Okay, one leg of the triple. Think of it like the triple crown. The second was the FA Cup. Kind of like an all, um, all Great Britain competition. Usually two teams from the Premier League end up in the finals. This year being no different. But Man City ended up beating their hated rivals, Man United, 2-1 on June 3rd in Wembley Stadium to win the FA Cup. Crown uh, Jewel 2. The third jewel of this famed treble would be the UEFA, the UEFA Champions League Cup. Now, that is a little trickier thing to do. You have all these European champions fighting it out, slugging it out, being first in group play, then the round of 16, quarterfinals, semifinals, with two legs in these round of 16, quarterfinals, and semifinals. Man City... Won the round of 16 over Leipzig. Won the quarterfinal of Bayern Munich. Not an easy thing to do because Bayern Munich is a really good German team. Then beating Spanish champions Real Madrid. Slapping them around 5-1 over the two legs. Now you get to the final. Now here's where the pressure is. They've won the, the, the Premier League. They've won the FA Cup. Can they win that third game? That third leg of the third jewel of the of the triple crown of soccer. Well, they pulled it off, beating Inter Milan in a thrilling one nothing game. Now that was an absolutely tight game to watch. But beating Inter Milan gives Pep Guardiola. How can I pronounce pronounce that dude's name right? Pep Guardiola. Snuffy's going to have to help me with that pronunciation. But Guardiola's side did manage to pull off the treble, winning all three crown jewels of that famed soccer uh, crown. Man City, not Man United, Man City wins all three crowns of that, uh, all three jewels of that crown. I'm going to say that right sooner or later. Now, let's look at the fat dap and head slap of the week. Now, our Fat Dap Head Slap of the Week both kind of um, play both sides of the watchword. Sportsmanship. Snuffy says sportsmanship is cool, and I agree with him. Our Fat Dap of the Week goes to two Cumberland University softball players, Ashley Evans and J.C. Hatfield. They helped Becca Malwin of Thomas Moore around the bases after she hit a walk-off grand slam on them. Um, earlier this month, and Moen hurt her hamstring running the bases. Since the run would not count until she crossed the plate, they picked her up and helped walk her around the bases, around second, third, and touch home. They didn't have to do it, but it was a good sign of sportsmanship. And these young ladies should be lauded and commended for that type of sportsmanship. Fat that to these Cumberland University ladies who did the right thing. Now, our head slap of the week goes to 
parents of the Twenton, Massachusetts Little League, who verbally abused and harassed umpires to the point where the umpires walked off the field. And the umpires were making the right call. I'll lay out what the situation was. Um, there was it was a it was a one run game. The home team had the tying and winning runs on. The batter stepped in the box, but the home plate umpire put his hand up saying no pitch, you know, to prevent the ball from going into play. The field umpire, usually there's two umpires in a little league game, saw it too and acknowledged no pitch. Pitcher threw the ball. The batter hits a double to the to the uh, to the gap. Scores both runs, but the umpire said, hold it, the play doesn't count. We said timeout. Batter had to come back to the batter's box. He strikes out. Home team fans, parents, are yelling and screaming at the umpire, talking about you have to earn your pay. Never mind that the umpire was right. If the umpire holds his hand up and says, hey, don't throw the ball, you're not supposed to throw the ball. And I don't care if he had a swung and missed it and been like, okay, that wasn't strike three. Okay, and then he hits a double. If it had been the other way around, the parents had been like, eh, whatever. Or would the opposing team parents been mad? Either way, the umpire made the call, and it was the right call. These parents are out of line for going at these umpires. Umpiring, officiating is a tough job. I, for one, like to mess with umpires and referees during the game. But I'm never going to be verbally abusive to the point where I'm threatening a person's life. That's stupid. I'm not going to verbally taunt an umpire or whatever to the point where I'm physically threatening them. That's immature. And these parents should know better. They're supposed to be the grown-ups. They're supposed to be setting the example. These kids follow what these parents are and are verbally abusive to the, to the umpires as well. Where is the respect? These umpires rightfully walked off the field and told this uh, Little League organization that they weren't going to do any more games if they were going to continue to be abused. Now, the Little League, for their part, said it was an isolated incident. No, that's not an isolated incident. Parents know they can get away with that. They're going to do it until, they, until they're stopped. The league offered to host games without fans or a police presence if the umpires come back. And I don't think the umpires should come back. I think the umpires should say, you know what? Season's over. We're done. Y'all need to learn how to actually watch games. This is Little League. This isn't the major leagues. There's no, no million-dollar checks going to be coming out for a game-winning hit. And even if it was, respect for the umpires is overdue is needed and is part of the game. Head slap to the Taunton, Massachusetts uh, Little League parents. Y'all should know better. And now without much further ado, let's go to the final word from the wood. Now I'm not much of a golf enthusiast even though the hood wood is literally a five minute walk from a golf course to my stepbrother's envy, but to his chagrin, I've never partook round. I don't have the patience to chase a little white ball around in the hot sun. That said, I do appreciate the skill it takes to play the game, and it's always been a popular sport. Now, the professional golf world was racked by the battle between the established PGA Tour and the just-on-the-scene LIV Golf Tour. Bankrolled by the Saudi government, the Live Tour took through an insane amount of money at players, not to just win their events, but just to play on their tour. Led by legendary Aussie golfer Greg Norman, the player, the tour pulled some big-name players like Brooks Kepka, Brian DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, and further stunned the golf world with its signing of Phil Mickelson. Lefty, for his part, took a lot of heat from the golf world at large, and there were a number of highly vocal critics, namely Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods. Now, there were a number of players and big names that resisted the siren call of the Live Tour, namely Woods himself and legendary golfer Jack Nicklaus, who were offered an ungodly amount of money for them to participate 
in their tournaments or be a figurehead leader, respectively. Both were doggedly loyal to the PGA Tour, and the more established tour was adamant that card-carrying members were not to play in live events and not to jump ship to the newer tour. Though some did, some didn't, and some tried to straddle the fence both. Now, the PGA banned players who had participated in, in live events, though there were a number of them that were bringing antitrust litigation for the ability to play in both events. Now, the DP World Tour, which is the European version of the PGA, also cited disciplinary actions against their tour members who played and participated in live events, and they won those appeals in arbitration. Now, this looked like it would be a long and protracted fight. Uh, the established tour telling its acolytes to stay the course and stay loyal. Now, the PGA was openly critical of the players that jumped, and the quality of the play of the fledging tour had been a bit of an issue. Its TV ratings were minuscule, if any. One of the reasons one of the many of the critics of the Live Tour had was the influx of money, where this money came from. The Saudi government had been very eager to burnish its worldwide image through sports, a concept called sports washing. Their human rights, uh, notable human rights violations, and um, intolerance of gay and lesbian players has been very well noted. Uh, also, the unsolved murder of Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi a few years back also has been something that many people have held over the Saudi government's head. But the Saudi government bankrolling this tour has been trying to clean up its image. But suddenly, after 12 months of barbs, insults, and openly hostile actions between the PGA and the LIB tour, a merger was announced. Wait, what? A merger? Make this make sense. Suddenly, PGA head honcho Jay Monahan was singing the praises of LIV. Suddenly, the PGA was receptive of the Live group and were announcing a partnership with this group. They, they, were, they were throwing just brickbats at them just a few weeks ago. This caught many of the players of the PGA Tour by surprise, many feeling betrayed by the PGA who had been preaching loyalty just a few weeks earlier and telling them to stay the course. Now it seems that the PGA had been basically sold out and the words that Monaghan and Dogley preached were hollow and empty. The Saudis named their price and Monaghan took the deal. Now look, I'm not one to begrudge someone getting paid. Get your loot while the getting's good. But don't tell me not to take the money that is offered and then take it yourself. That just reeks of hypocrisy. Furthermore, the Saudis are trying their damnedest to sports wash themselves and are using an obscene amount of money to do so. You may recall that uh, soccer icon Leo Messi turned down a billion dollars. Remember we said the number billion when we were talking about the sale price of the Ottawa Senators? One man was offered a billion dollars over three years to play soccer in Saudi Arabia. Leo Messi. He turned it down. Now, that, the Messi turned down the money to play for, and to turn around and play for Inter-Miami of the MLS. Which Now, this is a coup for soccer in America. It still shows the great lengths that these teams and organizations backed by this obscene amount of money are going to to get top sporting talent. In regards to the Pro Tour, it's sickening that Monaghan sold his players out. Not because of the Saudis, because it's the Saudis and their oodles of money, but because Monaghan was so adamant about players not jumping to the other league staying loyal to the PGA, and punishing those who did jump by barring them from tour events and majors. Now, Monaghan took the money and expects everybody and everyone else in the PGA to sing Kumbaya and go along to get along. It's the height of hypocrisy and the biggest snow job for Monaghan to go along with sports washing, taking the check and expecting everyone else to look the other way. And that is the final word from the wood.
And with the music coming up in the background, you know that means that your time here in the hood was just about done. And I thank you so much for your visit. The show's email is kjgreen at sportswomenhoodwood.com. You can send emails regarding show topics, both past and future, questions, comments, and both praise and criticism. We'll be correspondent, and we'll try to get back to you in a timely manner. The show's website is sportswomenhoodwood.com. That has a back catalog of the show dating back 10 years in both audio and video form. So you can check that out if there are any shows that you may have missed. You can join the debate and conversation on the Sportsman Hoodwood page on Facebook. It also has the video podcast simulcast as well as other topics, funny stuff to find on the web, and great sports debate, lots more. I post often there and I respond to member posts frequently. So the video versions of uh, the show are on YouTube. You hit that subscribe and smash that like button for more great content. The link to this podcast is also on the show's Twitter feed. That's at Hoodwood Sports. Now it's also a host of interesting stuff, interesting stuff I find on Twitter, on the web, and I post there and respond. Tweet the show. We do tweet back. You can follow there as well. The audio version is on Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and Apple, and a, web, a host of other fine podcast platforms and providers. If the Hoodwood is not on your favorite podcast uh, provider, ask for it. Drop me a line, and I'll see what I can do to get it on your favorite provider. Special thanks, as always, to Rage Pictures for their production and assistance in the show. So that's it, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Until next time from the Hoodwood, fellow sports fans, I'm KJ Green, 30. Sports from the Hoodwood is a Black Bandit Productions and Enterprises presentation of a 551 Audio and Films production.